0: with your help we can continue to fight for freedom this is not possible without your
1: generosity join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today simply go to tntradio.live this is unleashed with mark morano on today's news talk tnt radio
0: welcome to unleashed on tnt i'm your host mark morano well we have a solution it is done Uh, The Kellogg, I believe it's Kellogg, or one of the major cereal producers, CEO, has come out with a solution to high food costs, and you're going to love it. More sugary, carb-loaded, processed foods eat cereal for dinner. And no, I'm not making that up. Clip one. The cereal category
2: has always been quite affordable, and it tends to be a great destination when consumers are under pressure. So Some of the things that we're doing is first messaging. we got to reach the consumer where they are.
0: So we're advertising about cereal for dinner. If you think about the cost of cereal for a family versus what they might otherwise do, that's going to be much more affordable. The other places that we like to go is we talk about making sure we have the right pack at the right price
2: in the right place. So having a different size pack that'll have a different price point, that'll
0: take some pressure off the consumer while they're shopping. And there you have it. Corporate America cares about you. You're in their caring hands as you eat your bowl of cereal for dinner. Can't afford real food? Have a bowl of cereal. Look, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. I don't know your health. But I can tell you this. Don't eat cereal if you can help it. Now, if you can't afford it, it is cheap food. It'll prevent you from technically malnutrition and starvation. But is it healthy? No. Uh, You know, I do have the. There's a keto cereal I get. I don't know if it's healthy, but sometimes it helps when you travel. Uh, And the idea of eating processed, typically high sugar, high carb, low fiber uh, from a factory cereal, period, as any kind of staple in your diet, particularly for kids, what a waste. Give your kids salmon, eggs, meat, anything, but cereal in the morning, oatmeal, Now, I eat cream of wheat, and cream of wheat is coming from a packet, a box. I believe it's like a processed oatmeal, so maybe I'm not one to talk. Uh, Maybe that's just as bad as cereal. I don't know. It's a good question. But the larger question here is this is what corporate America, Kellogg's Cereal, thinks it's perfectly fine. He was actually asked in the interview about blowback, and he's like, no, we think this is a great idea. People need to eat cereal. Reminds me of the old orange juice. It's not just for breakfast anymore. But that was because they wanted to expand orange juice as a regular beverage. And by the way, drinking the juice separate from the actual pulp and the fruit itself, you may as well just be drinking sugar water except for the nutrients. The history of this, by the way, and why cereals are fortified with nine essential minerals and vitamins and all that nonsense. It goes back to World War II, when the draft inductees in 1941, in the, at least I'm talking about the United States. In the United States, I think I think the number was high. In the 20s, almost 30% of malnutrition among draft age people. And keep in mind, World War II draft age would be, uh, you know, under 18 in many cases, as my dad was who lied about his age, but all the way up to mid 40s and high 40s. You had Strom Thurmond at D-Day. I think he was 40, 44 or something like that, very old. Anyway, huge percentages, and this alarmed the government experts that be. So they started fortifying everything, adding nine minerals and vitamins to all the food so that you wouldn't be malnourished. Now, theoretically, I can understand that, and it's a public health thing. I can, you you got me, it makes some sense. However, they went from an idea that's debatable and somewhat noble to, basically the process, processization of all food in America. And I think Tucker Carlson recently had the segment where he was in a Russian grocery store, marveling at the lack of processed food, marveling at the actual bread and all that made there, as opposed to the, you know, high fructose corn syrup bread you can get in most grocery stores. Although I know a lot of stuff now advertises no high fructose corn syrup can't even get dog food without, you have to always check the first ingredient. Invariably, they try to pass off corn as the nutritious dog food. Anyway, so what they did was after this World War II, and this is the the beginning of that. So yeah, we stopped malnutrition. We stopped hunger. We stopped all that. But at the same time, it wasn't really healthy. And by the 70s, it's a great movie called uh, Food Inc. that shows archival clips of the 1970s. In fact, maybe I'll show them on this show. I want, there's a nutritionist I want to have on come talk about this. But basically, it reminded me of the climate debate. Reminded me of the COVID debate. Reminded me of uh, all these contentious, you know, transgender. These polit, these scientists showed up. Actually, it was the politicians and bu- food bureaucrats who were pushing for the new food labeling in the United States. Not labeling, but the food pyramid at the time in the nineteen seventies. And it turns out the scientists were like, "Well, we can't recommend this." Remember, it's like eat plenty of bread and uh, you know lots of carbs and limit your intake of protein and eggs, and it ended up with the uh, the uh, obesity epidemic in America and and the diabetes de- epidemic and the just unhealth death de- uh, epidemic, and this only furthers it. But this is actually perfect. I think it's actually better. I'm not actually sure about this. Is it better to be forced to eat cereal because of the high cost? And keep in mind, the high cost combination of things. It's due to COVID lockdowns. It's due to supply chain issues. It's due to modern monetary theory with massive printing of money. It's due to net zero climate restrictions and regulations across the board with farming. It's due to billionaires like Richard Branson and uh, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates in China and equity asset firms gobbling up American farmland, turning farmers from owners of the land into into tilling the same land in a form of feudal serfdom. Anyway, we've seen what's happened here in the United States. Meat prices have skyrocketed. Food prices are through the roof. Now they want us to eat the lowest gr- just gr- grivel you can imagine, which is you know cereal for breakfast, cereal for dinner. But hey, don't worry. They basically, when they say it's fortified with eight, nine, 10 vitamins and minerals, they get a vitamin pill, crush it up into the mix in the factory, and they're like, good to go. Stamp the label. That's fortified food. It's got everything you need. They're even talking about doing this with hardcore alcoholics on the ho- and the homeless people on the street who drink is a fortify you know whiskey and liquor liquor bottles, uh, 100 proof liquor bo- liquor bottles with you know, basically crush a couple vitamin pills in there and then say, oh, there's a nutritionally complete whiskey that all you have to do is drink the whiskey and you won't sur- you won't have malnutrition, progress, science. Uh, but this is the whole thing they're softening us up. And The cereal isn't the least offensive thing they want us to eat for dinner. They really want us eating the bugs. They really want us eating the lab-grown fake meat from, from laboratories. Bill Gates, as I've mentioned many times, told MIT Technology Review that he would like to move uh, agri- animal agriculture out of farms and into the laboratory. and That's why he and Richard Branson have invested billions with the stem cells uh, the, the fetal blood mixed together in petri dishes and steel vats, and then printed on a 3D printer looking like an amorphous blob without eyes and brain and bone. It's just, what a mess. What a mess. And this is how corporate America solves it. They really, yeah, there's a movie, I think it was Drew Barrymore. They're really, he's really not that into you. Well, corporate America really doesn't care, give a flying beep about you. All right. Uh, that's, the, that's the latest there is uh, Kellogg's eat cereal for dinner and you've solved it. I believe is the wall street journal or someone a few years ago was basically just saying you know know, skip breakfast was their solution you can't afford food skip breakfast uh and this is again that's corporate wall street messaging you know why not that's the rest of america can't handle this hey we got to keep going we got to keep driving our our corporate policies and diversity equity inclusion and esg environment social governance and we got to keep uh, you know, crushing the small business and we got to keep a- a- you know, equity asset firms and buying up stuff. I mean, and who the hell cares to skip breakfast and eat cereal for dinner. You can save a lot of money. There's no excuse why you should be struggling at all food wise. Okay. And at the core of all of this is the scientific claims. This is a great clip. This is geologist gregory wrightstone of the co2 coalition and he's been a friend of the show he's been on several times on my tnt show pre-video days so it goes back you know that was like uh you know pre-internet days no actually it was just you know last last summer i think he was on last time anyway this is uh, geologist dr gregory wrightstone explaining on the tom nelson podcast or i think we're gonna have on as a new climate film coming out he's a producer of that uh what happens to the world if we double co2 remember eating cereal for dinner eating bugs, eating meat, banning gas-powered cars, banning gas stoves, wood-fired pizza, lawn equipment that's gas-fired, uh, limiting our travel, carbon passports, as CNN wants to do, climate emergency, is all based on the fear of CO2. So this is a geologist from the CO2 coalition telling us what happens to the world if we double the CO2 concentration, clip to.
2: How much warming can we expect for a doubling of CO2? So Today, we're at 420 parts per million is the ambient CO2 levels in the atmosphere, which is 50% more than it was at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, but we're at 420 today. What warming can we expect if we double CO2 from 420 to 840? It's definitely less than 1.5 and quite likely less than 1.0 Celsius of warming uh, for, for a doubling of CO2. What the facts tell us is we've seen nothing but benefits from the combination of warming and more CO2. By almost every metric we look at, we said before, ecosystems are thriving and prospering, and humanity is benefiting.
0: And that's a geologist telling you the science, as it should be told on CNN and Time Magazine and The New York Times. Even NASA has admitted the greening of the Earth even uh peer-reviewed studies are forced to acknowledge this and one of the ways the corporate media spins this several different ways but the, the one of the most hilarious is CO2 is rising and the, and plants are responding but weeds are going to be much worse than they ever were the invasive species they pick any negative. It's like saying, you know, your kid is going to grow bigger, but you're going to have a higher, you're going to have clothes that don't fit him anymore. What are you going to do with them? You're going to have weight. It's, it's that same mentality. And then the other thing that they will do about uh, rising CO2 is they will, they'll claim that, uh, that this is going to cause some kind of rapid climate change. And it's just not there in the geologic record. In fact, we're finding very rapid climate changes that had nothing to do with CO2. And on timescales of less than 100 years that they would blame. On co2 today in our geologic past so it's just one of those um silly things the media will not let this go but it is a uh it, it, you know it's something we have to focus on more co2 equals a greener world better photosynthesis. synthesis it's plant food there have been studies from greenhouses showing how the plant growth uh, goes up forest growth is going through the roof Throughout the world, actually, but particularly here in the United States, we have more forests, uh, I believe, than ever. Or you know that you know since the time of settlement, anyway. And all of this, though, regardless the doomsday scenario, this is. I came across this video. This is Spaceship Earth, and I'm not even sure the the I haven't heard of the group that sponsored this. But take a look at this. This is their vision for humanity. This is clip four. Just take a look and see what they have in store for the way they want you to live.
2: Welcome aboard, and thank you for flying Spaceship Earth.
3: We're glad you joined us for life's journey.
2: We have just a few rules to follow while you're on board.
3: We're expecting a full flight, so please limit yourself to preferably zero, or one, or at most two offspring. Help us take care of the place, so we can all enjoy going where life takes us.
2: Our flight attendant will familiarize you with our emergency exits.
3: Oh, whoa, no. There are no emergency exits.
2: Oh, that's right. We'd like all passengers, whether in first class or economy, to have a pleasant journey.
3: So don't take more than you need. Leave something for your fellow and future passengers.
2: There are plenty of ways to enjoy yourself without using all our fuel.
3: Or consuming a lot of stuff. Save some for the next passengers.
2: We have a finite number of
0: laboratories on this craft,
2: so please limit your emissions.
0: Trying to be funny, but it's basically saying that they want to rule and govern the world, and they want you to live as though you're up in an airspace on a limited resource planet that you can't have that many kids you have to be careful how much you go to the bathroom they say it explicitly uh and it's this fragile thing that just can't handle anything and that we are the most deadly thing that could happen to it none of it's true the earth is the most resilient thing possible and we haven't even you know in terms of mankind's impact uh, we want to be good stewards of the environment but the idea that, and we are incredibly improving. Fossil fuels have helped us be much better stewards of the environment. It was coal uh, that saved, and oil that saved the whales. Whale oil lamps, um, you know, used to be used to, have to kill the whales to get the whale oil lamps. That was replaced by electricity, uh, or even kerosene and other things, you know, oil fuel-based, fossil fuel-based. There was an article and I think it was the 1890s and uh, I this was in the Economics New York Times book and they had all the documentation. But the idea was they had computer modeling showing that every major city in the US was going to have horse manure, animal manure from the ox carts and horses. This is before the invention of the automobile, the gas powered automobile that we were gonna have just piles of manure in all our cities. And they were so sure of this. And they gave all this language, it was like a climate alarmist doomsday. Well, what happened? The internal combustion engine was invented. Henry Ford popularized it with a Model T, made it available to the masses, the general public. And horses basically disappeared. You can still find some animals in cities, like New York City, but that'll be through a stroll through Central Park. I was in Cairo about a year and a half ago It was terrifying uh, because we were on a highway in an Uber taxi, and there would be trucks, cars, and then in the middle of that, there would be like horse-drawn carriages and animal carts going 20 miles an hour next to cars going 45, 50 on these roads. It was the weirdest mix. They're still there, they're heavily in transition there from you know the third world to the, the developing world to the first world. But they have a lot of work to go in Cairo, at least that city. Uh, The other cities where the UN conference was held were much nicer, much more modern, much more injected with uh, technology and, and wealth. But this idea, you have to limit your kids, you have to limit your emissions, you have to limit your life, that we're all this has been debunked over and over, whether you go back to Paul Ehrlich's predictions of all these resource scarcity, it just doesn't happen. The Earth is abundant. It's like saying that the amount of music you can get from a piano is limited by the number of keys. Like, oh geez, you have uh you know so many keys on a piano, you're only gonna be able to get you know a hundred songs. So you gotta be really careful. We don't wanna play the same, you gotta, you know, we can only make slight variations. That's no, not true. This every piano with those keys can do probably billions of variations of notes, music, songs, anything you wanna do. And that's the way you have to look at planet Earth. So let's continue this. This is Spaceship Earth, part two. This is their vision of how they want us to view life on Earth is is sort of trapped in a prison up in the sky with these lunatics as captains.
3: We don't accept cash or credit cards.
0: So
2: don't waste too much time accumulating material wealth. If you don't observe these rules, the flag could get a little rough.
3: If a loss of sustainable equilibrium should occur, The captain will turn on the overshoot warning light. If there's a child sitting next to you, apologize and fasten your seatbelt. You'll need more than an oxygen mask.
2: You don't have a choice who you fly. There's just one spaceship Earth.
3: So please, take good care of it.
0: so you get that you don't have a choice when you take spaceship Earth well guess what the day you were born you're on a ride on spaceship Earth so you don't have a choice very telling and that's what they want you to believe that your choices are not only limited but are going to be forced upon you and enforced uh because you don't have a choice you're on spaceship Earth sorry maybe you went to another planet you could have freedom but freedom's out freedom caused spaceship earth to weep and the earth will not weep anymore this was interesting this was a, a video of a either a high school or college professor talking about the platform that we need uh globally in you know, our societies in order to reform this craziness being imposed upon us uh so th- take a look at this this is uh, clip 3
4: ministerio de turismo y deporte ¡Afuera! Ministerio de Cultura ¡Afuera! Ministerio de Ambiente y Desarrollo Sostenible ¡Afuera! Ministerio de las Mujeres, y Género y Diversidad ¡Afuera! Ministerio de Obras Públicas ¡Afuera! Aunque te resistas Ministerio de Ciencia, y Tecnología e Innovación ¡Afuera! Ministerio de Trabajo, Empleo y Seguridad Social ¡Afuera! Ministerio de Educación Adoctrinamiento ¡Afuera! Ministerio de Transporte ¡Afuera! Ministerio de Salud ¡Afuera! Ministerio de Desarrollo Social. Afuera! Se acabó el curro de la política. ¡Viva la libertad, carajo!
0: That was actually the Argentinian the president, Milei, who's having some fun. This is when he was a... To professor uh, before he was elected, talking what he would do with all the layers of bureaucracy and government and just gone, 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 gone. Let's hope he comes through with this. He's given some great speeches. I have heard some negative about him, that he's backing away from the stance on climate and he's not going to challenge it. Uh, but we need more people like Bolsonaro, Trump, uh, Malí, and Argentina. Uh Va- uh Klaus Vaklov, I just had this problem. The former Czech president. I got Klaus Schwab in my head, but it's Klaus. Um President Klaus, not Vaklov, Klaus, not, not Klaus Schwab, who lived under communism, was the greatest leaders, and led the revolt of Czech Republic or Czech former Czechoslovakia against the whole United Nations uh climate uh, process when he was the head of the state. He was actually one of the only head of state who was openly publicly skeptical of the climate alarmism. So let's hope Malia in Argentina can make a huge difference and inspire other presidents like that. Okay, I wanted to show you this. This is clip six. Alexandria Acacio cortez is getting protests now even though she's from the protest community. I mean, she used to be the other side of this. Uh, She never really handles it well. She'll sometimes dance and like, la, 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 and just like mocks the protesters, which I find weird because this is her background. You think she would have more respect. But anyway, this is clip six. Take a look at this. uh, uh, Interrupting a a Congressman Acacio Cortez speech on climate change.
3: ...introduce a lot of environmental justice provisions to clean air in our schools and also uh, to implement climate policy in the education space. Uh, in 2020, the CARES Act passed, and in 2021, we started to see a lot of different... Uh, My name is
0: Jonathan David Rinaldi. I'm for Congress against ALC. Oh. Get out of here. <laughs> Uh, keep in mind, Akasha Cortez has been literally protested from the left. And if you watch people like Jimmy Dore and all these other people who at one point thought AOC was the, the voice of progressivism, they are they just said she's completely sold out. She's part of the establishment. And you can see her sometimes. She'll just sit there and like dance and sing when these protesters come at her. Uh, it's funny. She was celebrating five years of the Green New Deal, which is weird because Congress never passed the Green New Deal. It never was even voted on. So... How'd that happen? Well, we all know how that happened. They don't need no stinking legislation. They can just impose it. And that's what they've been doing through ESG, DEI, corporate government collusion, executive orders, cabinet agencies, unelected bureaucrats, international organizations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is the world in which we live. Well, fighting back against that world is what we're gonna have when we come back from this break. Scott Shepard, Free Enterprise Project Director of the National Center for Public Policy. And he's, uh, the, he's the director of the Free Energized Project. He's going to talk about the attempted wake toko takeover of American corporate life. And boy, we have a lot of questions about that. So this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Stay tuned for Scott Shepard right after these messages.
1: TNT's Kate Shimarani.
5: Nelson Mandela was once a terrorist. He was a terrorist. And, and then all of a sudden he was a hero because you were told to think so and we saw that with tedros tedros from the world health organization (laughs) tells you nothing about health um he was once wanted in his own country for crimes against his own people on a most wanted terrorist list but now we have to listen to tedros talking well i don't listen but talking rubbish so what you have to kind of think to yourself right now is Everything that you are told is an inversion. Kate
4: Shamarani on today's News Talk TNT. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community. We're energized by the type 1 community and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organizations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting, innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible.
1: It's time to switch on today's News Talk Radio.
4: Very entertaining.
1: Yeah! TNT.
0: Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, joining us now on the program is Scott Shepard, the Free Enterprise Di- Project Director at the National Center for Public Policy and someone who's fighting the woke agenda in corporate America. Welcome to the program, Scott.
1: Thanks so much, Mark. Great to be with you.
0: All right, well, uh, tell us first of all, how did you get involved in fighting wokeism? And you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, did you even know what wokeism was or 20 years ago? Is it is it a new phenomenon or does it have roots back centuries? I mean, tell us your background and then tell us the history of where wokeism came from.
1: Sure. Uh, And the answer to your your question is both. It stretches back, (laughs) but it is is a fairly new phenomenon. And you asked about my background. I can tell you that for about a decade, I taught in American law schools. But woke hit schools, and particularly law schools, first. So as you know, we we had an 80-person faculty. There were three conservatives. I was one without tenure. That was too many. And so I got driven out. It got a nice settlement out of it, but it was uh it was very unpleasant. So that was my first inkling. I still didn't think it had gotten to corporations yet, but I had an opportunity uh to to work here at the Free Enterprise Project and was was convinced that it was a problem, looked into it and realized that it really is uh, uh the greatest existential threat other than maybe China to the free West uh today. It uh it it, it seeds. All sorts of, of basic liberties um, uh, from from people and their fundamental rights to to governments and these transnational organizations and to whatever the lunacy up in Davos the uh, the, the World Economic Forum cares to uh, cares to, to suggest itself as um, but but that's how I got there and, th- and that's the the level of problem we think we're dealing with.
0: Well, so uh, so what you're saying is that wokeism, or I guess we'll call it that for lack of a better word captured academia first, and then it bled into corporate America. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, well, uh, about 50 years ago, uh, there was a a small coterie of intellectuals who, uh, they they called it this themselves, using Mao's term. They they were uh, planning a long march through the American and Western institutions in order to achieve socialism uh, as they saw it and thought it was gonna be for the good of the world. And, uh, and they proceeded to do it. And they attacked uh, academia first. There were always a lot of lefties in academia. And then they they took Hollywood. They took the deep state. I mean, why we have a deep state is because they took uh, the, the administrative bureaucracy. They took public education. They, they'd they had higher education. It got to the point that about the only three organizations and, and spheres left were corporations and uh, and the military. And so they started... Quietly, about 30 years ago, working on on these corporate executives, got them to move a little left, a little left, a little left without thinking too much about it. And then after uh, uh, Occupy Wall Street, Zuccotti Park, Eat the Rich, um, that whole crowd shifted far to the left. And we weren't paying enough attention, myself included, uh, until really the summer of 2019 and then the riot summer of 2020. uh, it, It started to dawn on us that we had a gigantic problem.
0: I was amazed like and you mentioned 2020 it was like within days of George Floyd dying that Nike announced that they would no longer, you know, sponsor have anything to do with the Washington Redskins logo and like immediately the Washington Redskins pulled the name and they became the Washington Football Team. That's pretty powerful to have a, a, a flashpoint event happen, a corporation respond, and then another corporation just buckle, which they had been fighting that name change for decades. And even Native yeah. Americans had done that. I mean, that's just an example of that. Um, so how much power uh does this woke crowd have does it have a leader i mean is there marching orders or you know how does this kind of thing work i mean it's not like the woke party or someone issuing memos it's just it's like a group think i mean what would you call it an ideology is it a is it a uh, a religion is it a a cancer on the thought is it cultural marxism you know get a little deeper into what it is actually
1: well a little bit of all of those Uh, (laughs) and it doesn't have so far as i know a formal council uh, deciding everything, yeah. but as an informal council mentioned Davos and the World Economic Forum. This is where quite a lot of these stupid ideas come from. The UN and UN agencies are another area, right? The the, the climate catastrophism, it's now largely run by Mike Bloomberg, who tried to be president and now wants to be dictator, but, but really uh, came out of the, the IPCC, the Climate the UN climate uh, board because the UN would quite like to not be a joke would like to have power and this is how they think uh it thinks it can it can gain it but as a as a as a fundamental fact in the United States the people who have been primarily pushing uh, corporations to go woke now the the left activists slowly 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 pushed them left kudos to them for for being aware of the opportunity but but what's what triggered the high push left was uh, Larry Fink at BlackRock, Ron O'Hanley at State Street, and whoever runs Vanguard, uh, joining together to decide that they were going to, in Larry's own words, force behaviors on all American corporations using not their money, but the money of other people entrusted to those three investment houses and entrusted not to do those three guys' personal politics, but to, to invest for maximum returns. And and those three have violated their fiduciary duties in, in in legal filings. The directors of Starbucks testified that one of the reasons Starbucks started uh, discriminating on the basis of race, sex, and orientation again is because Larry Fink made them. So, so the 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 motive force here in, wow. in the U.S. is largely them.
0: What I find that you know that you can use the phrase "evil genius." I mean, you know, it's it's almost brilliant is that these equity asset firms like BlackRock, Larry Fink, are using other people's money to impose this agenda without any democracy. I mean, that's pretty clever. It should be illegal. Is it illegal? And are, do you ever just marvel at how crafty they are and how, you know, it's kind of like the the Bond, James Bond villain where you think like, wow, you know, that's a scumbag, but aren't isn't it amazing how far they've been able to carry this
1: so far? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that completely. After all, as Larry likes to point out, he's the son of a shoe salesman who's become a billionaire running trillions of dollars of other people's money. So he has to be really clever, which means though yeah. that he has to know exactly what he's doing. As to whether this is legal, I think that any sane reading of fiduciary duty would would render it a breach of that duty and therefore put all of these directors out of their own pockets in deep, deep trouble. Because under fiduciary duty, you have to act in the objective interests of shareholders, not your own uh, interests, including, presumably, your personal policy preferences. And so when you do, when you 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 make your uh, p- politics the driving force of, of what you do with other people's money, uh, you, you uh, put your own interests ahead of the shareholders. That's called self-dealing. And it means that whoever is found guilty of it has to pay the corporation back for all the damages out of their own personal pockets. That should and and could before too long break a lot of these guys and end the practice.
0: Isn't a lot of the, you know? I guess the I guess you'd call it the state attorney generals of a lot of the Republican states, governors like Ron DeSantis. Tell us some of the reforms they're doing to fight against this, you know, corporate government collusion, wokeism. Because it seems to me that's our best hope is coming from the states, the attorney generals, and some governors.
1: Yeah, it it is really for now, of course, coming from the states. It's the Republican Attorneys General, and I want to put in a plug for the uh the red state treasurers and other financial officers. They've been absolutely terrific as well. And we worked we've worked closely with them. Uh, what they're doing is passing laws that essentially have states boycott companies that boycott uh useful industries and the industries that the left doesn't like like reliable and affordable energy, like gun manufacturing and, and distribution, etc. You can go through the whole list. Bank of America has has uh, rules for who it will lend to and who it won't, and they sent them to me recently. And it turns out they're wholly political. What they consider a risk and not a risk is is just reading from from a democratic platform. And so um, states are starting to move to stop that. They're, they've been warning. Uh, the big three investment houses and others about the fact that states have antitrust laws as well. Um, They've been trying to, uh, Texas and Florida tried to regulate big tech to stop it from censoring on its platforms. And that I think is just being heard this week or was just heard uh, before the Supreme Court. So they're trying a lot of things. I think there's a lot more to do. I think uh, insurance regulation to make sure there's no social credit scoring. I think that uh, expanding state civil rights laws to make it clear that if you force behaviors on others that are equity-based and result in violations of the non-diverse of civil rights, the result is you've committed a criminal conspiracy against civil rights and you go to jail the next year. And I think that might change some behaviors as well.
0: Now, assuming we get a Republican president uh, next year, what can you do at the federal level? I mean, is there anything systematically you can do to root this out, or is it just going to be you can only trim around the edges? It's kind of like draining the swamp. It sounds good, but the reality is when a swamp is that thick and deep, you can't drain it. Is wokeism so embedded in American government, in academia, and our corporate culture that we are, you know, that there's really, it's not like one presidential term could even make a dent.
1: No, I think that this is still for a while anyway, completely salvageable. What the okay. new administration would need to do is first set up a, a an ESG exclusion czar because ESG, uh, equity-based discrimination and, and decarbonization on political schedules, those have been the whole of government initiatives of the Biden administration. They've tried to implant it everywhere. So instead yeah. of doing the haphazard things that conservative uh, administrations usually do, they have to set up a team that will go through and systematically Eliminate all of those rules and replace them with ones that protect against that ever happening in the future, and 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 uh, roll back all the legislation that was secretly a- about ESG, even though it was other things like the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, <clears throat> and then they also have to uh, fairly systematically use all the pa- uh, the tools that that they have as as federal officers. Republicans have hated to use antitrust for nearly a hundred years, but. What's going on is combinations of interests to to, uh, uh, keep capital from certain industries, certain producers. That is monopolistic behavior. And so we have to use those tools to smash up, uh, to smash up the big investment houses, break them up. And we need to revise Section 230 of the 96 Telecommunications Act. Sounds terribly boring, but it's the one that keeps uh, social media companies from being sued when they call completely true statements or just opinions yeah. misinformation or disinformation and block it or downlist it or graylist it or or whatever they're calling it these days, that can be it can all be stopped fairly fairly efficiently.
0: All right. Well, we're going to take a break. We're talking with Scott Shepard, the director of the Free Enterprise uh, Project at the National Center for Public Policy Research. We're talking about wokeism. Uh, And I'd like to ask you about China's social credit system, maybe explain DEI, ESG, all these phrases people hear and how it impacts our life. We'll be right back. It's Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Stay tuned
2: with his expert analysis and opinion.
0: This is TNT
2: Radio's Timothy Shea. These people are evil. First they lie, and no, no, the jab is safe and effective. You have to take it because it's safe and effective. It's for the greater good. And then they'll deny that people that were injured were injured by the jab, which was so safe and effective. And now when they're finally forced to admit, yeah, your paralysis, it's from the mod RNA gene therapy injection but we're going to make it up to you the doctors in canada say to the paralyzed woman we're going to allow you to opt for euthanasia i'm not making that up go check out the story with these people all roads lead to death they are a death cult on a mission of spreading death far and wide they want to kill people they want to kill as many people as possible they're on record as saying they want no more than 500 million people on Earth. The only problem, we have 7.5 billion people on Earth. They wanna get rid of seven billion people? And they're doing it slowly but surely. They need to be stopped and they need to be stopped now. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's news talk, TNT.
5: When I had my heart event close to four years ago, I was at the gym, thought I deserve a coffee, and thought I'll top up with fuel ordered a coffee, but while I was pumping fuel I started to get chest pains. Then it got worse and worse and worse, so then I was leaning on the counter thinking yeah, something's not quite right, so then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit and Joy just, you know, mouthed do you need an ambulance and I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack, I just thought something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a widowmaker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. <laughs> Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you
1: exposing the motives and agenda of the world's most powerful. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to
0: Unleashed on TNT. I'm your host, Mark Morano. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Scott Shepard, the director of the Free Enterprise Enterprise Project at the National Center for Public Policy. We're talking about wokeism. You were talking about, you know, sort of reining in and making it so people could sue big tech. How big a part is big tech in enforcing wokeism. And what are these, I mean, I, when I, I can't remember when I first, I guess I first heard of a fact check probably, I remember uh, like Dick Cheney giving out information, they were originally a, not a bad idea, they had these Snopes and all that, but things have evolved a long way since the original Snopes, which I found actually quite useful, even if you had a liberal bias. But give us some of the the you know the the origin of how big tech p- came to play such a huge role in wokeism, enforcing wokeism. Well,
1: I, I think it's it is the primary motivator um, for for stamping out basic thought, other than uh, other than maybe the elementary school, starting with the indoctrination. But we've seen just this week. I mean, <laughs> the laughability of the Google AI that that will not make white founding fathers right, or will not perpetrate <laughs> yes. white people in anything but an evil way. But we also found out that Google uh, if you type in a search topic that has any ideological bent, they will behind the scenes revise that search topic that you put in to make it more leftist, which is why when you you search for you know you search for stories about what we're doing fighting ESG, what you get is 90 stories first uh, that support ESG. And so, I mean, that's fraud on consumers. There's there's everything in the world wrong with that, uh, and it it's emblematic of what of uh, what happened has happened throughout tech. I think what happened there. You remember that initially tech was a a, a fairly libertarian. The idea that the internet and the new techn technological op- opportunities were going to be uh, libertarian in their effects. But the thing is, most of these kids who started big corporations that that's the only thing they'd ever done. Right, And so they get out there, they become billionaires, they feel guilty about that. They don't have any earthly idea, having come from Harvard to billionaire, but they don't have any idea how the world works. Right, And so they'll listen to any nonsense that that comes their way. And because they're in northern California, the nonsense that came their way was uh, the, the stuff flowing down from San Francisco. So now we've got a whole movement of San Francisco lunacy writ large because of happenstances of geography and because... Uh, uh one hit wonder kids got too rich too fast uh so so i think i think that is a central role um uh, uh, but again i think there there are a, a massive number of things they're doing that either are or could be illegal and with google's misbehavior you remember uh when we were kids um there was one telephone company nationwide Ma Bell, right yes. and in the early 80s it got broken up um and then there was competition and phone service got better, et cetera, et cetera. But in order for it to need breaking up, it had been smushed together uh, into a common carrier uh, by by government pressure in large part 60 years before that. And so I think it's, it's time to give a lot of these tech companies and Google in particular a choice. Either uh, they, they agree to being broken up or they're regulated as a public utility and can't discriminate against anybody in any way at all, the way the, way the old telephone comes.
0: Isn't that hard at this point? Does, doesn't the big tech lobby politicians, lobby, give money to think tanks? Even a lot of conservative libertarian ones, I guess, receive that. And the, And how hard is it to take on big tech? Is that realistic in any you know shorter timeframe? It just seems as though they have the system wrapped up.
1: Well... I mean, I think I think that's probably what um, uh, people who fought against the railroad trusts and the oil trusts right. in the eighteen eighties and nineties thought too. I think I think we can beat tech, but but conservatives, conservative politicians all across our side, we have to put on our, our, our war bonnets and use all the tools at our disposal. What, what what's hamstrung us for so long is so many uh, conservative politicians or or activists oh, well, we don't want to touch antitrust, or, well, we should we should really just leave this alone. When the, the other side fights with every weapon it has, we've got to engage the same
0: way. In the climate world, it was October of 2022, when the UN uh, Climate Communications Director was doing an interview, and she said, quote, we own the science of climate change. So we partnered with Google in order to make sure all the returns on Google and search engines reflected the fact that the UN owned the science. That's what she said. Literally, I was almost verbatim, the quote I gave you. So just how, how many uh, you know, bowls, how many, that's a big bowl of wrong, but how break that down for me. When You have a, a non-government body, an international organization like the United Nations partnering with Google. To then literally make sure you already alluded to this, you know the first ninety returns will be something, but yeah, you know, how 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 do you how do you fight that? Is that that same thing? Just you have to break apart. So you're basically saying break apart Google in order to prevent that.
1: Well, I think break apart quite a lot of them, but this is another place where, uh, as an initial matter, antitrust uh, could play a big role or related uh, related statutes and, and tools because it turns out you look at the the tech industry. Everybody has agreed to those things, right? So it is a competition, it is a combination in restraint of trade. Look what they did to Parler. Look what they did, they tried to do yeah. to Musk. And the only reason they didn't do it is because he's the richest man in the world. And yeah. so when that kind of collusive behavior occurs in industry, there are tools. And in the 60s, people were sent, uh, 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 energy executives were sent to jail for colluding less than the climate lobby. Uh, and its avatars collude um now uh to to this transition to to higher uh, uh price and lower quality energy. So again, we could be talking about jail sentence.
0: Wow. I mean I, I hope that's correct. You also have Al Gore, this was announced at the UN Summit, partnering up with Google, Google again, to launch satellites. Now, Al Gore has all these investors and in different climate companies, and he's partnering with Google, which apparently has these satellites anyway. And they're going to be monitoring farms, businesses, corporations, and for making sure that they disclose their CO2 emissions. I call it Big Al is watching you. But yeah, this is, you know, we it's an incredible collusion. I think it was Vivek Ramaswamy who so eloquently said, Yeah. Back when Reagan was running in 1980, we were all worried about fighting against big government. Well, while we fought against, tried to fight against big government, the corporate government fascism came in the back door. And that's really what we're dealing with now is all this. So, and you're right, I guess breaking it up would be the key thing. But here's what I want to ask you about is the pressure. It's, It's intense. If someone, you know, here in Virginia, I guess our attorney general uh, misidentified a transgender activist as him. And even though they were trying to say that it was, she's trying to, he's trying to claim he's a she. And there's immediate, you know, cancel culture, outrage. People lose their jobs over this kind of stuff. Critical race theory, you say the wrong thing. People lose their jobs over this immediately. You become on person canceled. You say the wrong thing about COVID. You say the wrong thing about a vaccine. That you can't just pass a law. That's a psychology, that's an ideology. And it's just rampant. And people are terrified into silence, which allows us to continue. Where does that come from? How do they get that zeal to just silence people and enforce
1: what we can say and what we can't say? Well, that's an interesting progression, isn't it? Because <laughs> you think about it, a decade ago, uh, as, as as recently as a decade ago, say, the, the uh, gay rights, Uh, movement, was talking about tolerance for everyone and equality. They wanted protections against discrimination for being gay. The minute they got gay marriage, HRC and the other professional gay institutions, the minute they got it, they started to try to discriminate against the non-gays or discriminate in favor of the LGBT ever-growing community. right? And so the same thing has happened with uh, 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 with with the other parts of the left in the fifties, it was the left against McCarthyism and against uh, firing people because of their political positions or statements, et cetera. As yeah. soon as they got in charge, they they revived all of the all of the evils of before. Apple ran a a commercial in uh, in nineteen eighty two in the Super Bowl about being the antidote to nineteen eighty four. By now, they are nineteen eighty four, and yeah. so. It's just a matter. The left always wants power because the 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 base of the left is the desire of adults to control other adults' lives. And if you ask me, that's the best definition of fascism. That, you know, off the off the top the top of a off the top of the cuff. And so that's happened. Uh, uh, it's just in their nature. It's in the the nature of the left, like the scorpion. And uh, as a result, this is another area where I think that we have to respond in kind. For instance, red states could. Uh, in going after uh, uh, universities, say no uh, continuing contract can be issued to any professor who has advocated the the cancellation or the indoctrination or opposed free speech on that campus, right? And then fire a ton of them and then ban DEI and require them to have one-to-one balance of liberal and conservative in their faculties. They could never hire another liberal. Uh, b- because of the the imbalance there, so pretty much systemically and systematically, we could respond to them the way they treat us, and then I think they'd have to come to the uh, to the to the, uh, the peace negotiation table because it would turn out that they didn't much like it happening to them.
0: Can you expand on how wokeism is used by corporations, businesses? To cover up bad behavior. In other words, if you're a big polluting industry, if you're a big uh, exploitation industry, whether it's exploiting, you know, children in other countries, or, or bad environmental standards, bad human rights record. As long as you wrap yourself in the mantle of wokism and you know gay rights and transgender and critical race, suddenly you're like virtuous. And this is exactly what Apple's done. I mean, they have contracts with China, they're they have you know dirt ball wages, they make the most wasteful products that they try to get you to replace every year with all the rare earth. Market. At the same time, they're a progressive and they're seen, it's funny because 50 years ago, the left railed against big business. Today, big business they own big business, the left. So um, yeah, I guess the question really, really to simplify it is is wokism just a cover for bad business practices so they can wrap themselves in that flag and be liked?
1: It's not it's not just a cover for that. It is definitely right. in part a cover for that. It's okay. also in part the deal that corporate executives struck with uh, with the left after uh, after the ether Rich Zuccotti Park uh, uh, Occupy Wall Street episode. They, they said to the left, listen, we know you want to tax us into sin. We quite like being billionaires. How about you you let us continue to be billionaires and exchange we will support all of your policies with our corporate assets. And so th- there's a lot of that. It's it's protection money to the left, to the anti-corporate left, because yeah. they thought the right would never turn anti-corporate. And it took us a long time. But but there are some true believers. But what you say about coverage is is entirely true. Consider Ford. Ford invested an immense amount of money into EVs. It was a terrible idea, now they're paying the price. But along the way to that, they needed cobalt. Cobalt is mostly supplied from uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And uh, the people who know have certified with significant research that there's no way to get cobalt from the Congo uh, without using forced and slave and child labor. Well, Ford you know, doesn't care because it's green, it's clean. And so they set up this system whereby at two removes, they're judging their own reports about the the non-use of child and slave labor in the Congo. And they refuse to say where they're getting uh, the cobalt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, they uh, they use the fact that, well, this is a green industry or a green production to do all of the things that they oppose here at home and that they wouldn't be able to do without, without the cover.
0: Wow. Well, thank you very much, Scott Shepard, the director of the Free Enterprise Project uh, at the uh, National Center for Public Policy, fighting wokeism. Keep up the fight. Thank you for joining the program today. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We'll see you next time.